Uh, one of the questions you want to ask that broker always is, is there a lingering inventory or new release inventory at a previously launched project that's comparable in the neighborhood that's cheaper per square foot? And if they can't answer that question very quickly, either no or yes, this project at this price per foot, they actually have some good studios or whatever, right? If they can't answer that question very quickly, you're not dealing with the pre-construction broker. You're dealing with a cheerleader. Building a successful real estate career requires you to adapt, pivot, and constantly master new skills. We're Katie and Daniel Steinfeld. We've built our own innovative brokerage. And in this podcast, we've assembled actionable tips and strategies that you can implement to take your business to its maximum potential. It's time to level up. Level up. Welcome to Level Up, everybody. Thanks for joining us. As every always, social media on earth that is every social Facebook. media on earth, meaning <laughs> Facebook and other things later. Uh, I'm Daniel, I'm here with Katie, and we are thrilled today to be joined by Jordan Scrinko, who is going to bring us some clarity on uh, the precon world. He is the founder of precondo.ca and a well-known figure who's got a lot of sweet signs to drop when it comes to the pre-con world. So uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is exciting. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Well, maybe we'll start, if you can give us a little bit of a bio about yourself and pre-condo and what you're, what you're up to. Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, so Precondo uh, is the third largest pre-construction website in Canada by organic traffic. So you Google any project in here or Montreal, so Toronto GTA or Montreal, you're going to find, you're going to find us. Um, we uh, generate about 20,000 leads a year and we do hundreds of, uh, hundreds of pre-construction transactions every year and a bunch of resale too, as well. Um, and that's been going for well, I think the last three years, the site's been really big, but I've been selling pre-construction for um, seven, seven years now. Nice. Um, and so uh, that's basically that. I, I essentially, you know, uh, I'm a glorified unit slinger, um, but these days I try to do a lot more uh, educational content. So, you know, I've got, I've got my YouTube channel, which is almost my full-time focus these days. Um, yeah. And of course I have a team of 12 agents who handle the majority of the business that comes to us through, through, through the website. That's awesome. I mean, I was looking at your YouTube channel. You've got, a, is it 8,000 followers about, or just over that or 8,000? Like yeah. 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 I'm trying to catch up to Soretsky. So me and him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We'll see. It's, grind. We'll see. it's got quite the lead. Yeah. That's great. All, all good. Well, uh, we're, we're actually going to prob probably, we'll, we'll chat about that a bit too, before we, yeah. before we let you go. I know that uh, as people are filing in, um, why don't we start with just a bit of a, a 10,000 foot view of what's happening like right now. Um, I mean, it's, it's an overdone cliche to say things are crazy because things are always crazy regardless of what period of time we're in, but coming out of the bank of Canada, it's plural and what might be to come and then coming out of COVID knock on wood and all that. Um, where does the pre-con market sit right now and how are things looking at, at the macro scale from what you're seeing? Yeah, it's pretty slow. Um, so for, uh, it's very project dependent. So something I say on my YouTube channel a lot is like the Toronto market, the GTA market is, is it's always been very fragmented, but COVID really, um, 
really elevated that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so right now what I'm finding is, although like, if you look at our January and February numbers, you know, signing 20 units a month, we're doing half of that now. Um, but much larger units on average. And so our volume is actually very similar, but it's just that the commodity sort of like investor unit that, you know, 600, $800,000 entry level investment unit in a cookie cutter stack building, you know, 50 stories, every unit's the same. That stuff is impossible to sell right now. Mm -hmm. um, but if you have a Lakeview Terrace unit, 1.5 to 3 mil, that stuff is very easy to sell right now because downsizers are obviously far less rate sensitive. Um, and, you know, when you look at pre-construction, it's priced obviously as a function of uh, cost plus 20% profit. So it's not priced relative to the resale market. So if the resale market's hurting, developers don't look at their prices and say, okay, let's cut these prices to match resale. It's irrelevant to them, right? And so what you get is with those commodity investor projects, they're anywhere from 20 to you know 30% more expensive than existing resale units across the street, like apples to apples comparables, which in a rapidly rising uh, market where there's a lot of FOMO, people are willing to make those speculative bets. But today, nobody wants to make those speculative bets. But when it comes to like, you know, a Lakeview Terrace unit, those people don't care if they're paying a little bit of a premium. They're buying it for their, you know, for to live in for 20 years and maybe pass down to their kids or whatever. So it's irrelevant to them what they just want what they want. They're making a lifestyle swap. They're not doing it for for money. And so so those people are still very active in the market and they're not very interest rate sensitive. Um, so yeah, I mean, commodity projects are hurting. I think you're mm -hmm. gonna see more project cancellations. Obviously, the news just hit the other day about uh, a, a certain developer in Burlington who's getting yeah. their HECRA. Anyways, they're losing they're losing the ability to launch and sell new projects. Whether they complete the ones that they're already midst, in the midst of, who knows? But we're going to see more cancellations for sure as that margin shrinks for a lot of these developers who pre-sold at pre-COVID prices and then supply chain issues um, and, and all yeah. kinds of stuff and they no longer can build in profit. Right. So for anybody that's on Facebook, you can feel free to jump in. We're watching the chat. So if you do have any questions for Jordan, feel free to jump in. Um, but for yourself and your team, do you typically work more so with investors, end users, or is it a, a mix of both pretty much? It's a mix of both. I would say, yeah. I would say if you look at sort of our pre-COVID numbers, like it was 60% investment, 40% um, end use, okay. um, or maybe even 70-30. But these days it's it's the other way around. Okay. Huh. So have it have a lot of investors, are they now kind of holding back a bit, do you find from driving in? Yeah. 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 Okay. It's it's interesting. Yeah. We talk about that too. I mean, it's across the board. Like we're trying to drill home and it's different resale to pre-con, but in some sense, what you were talking about with respect to not buying on spec and just buying for God forbid, people are buying a place to live when they're buying real estate. We're seeing uh, those who appreciate that and those who are in it for that are able to swallow the peaks and valleys because it doesn't have the same impact on their mindset and their goal right. setting of why they're getting into this world. So um, do you foresee that being a bit more of a sustained approach for the foreseeable future or, or are we, I, I mean, I, this, this goes into the larger macroeconomic question of where is, where are things going and when, when is there going to be more of a flat line versus some sort of 10 to 20% peak or valley on a month to month basis, but yeah. uh, where are things looking for you in terms of both uh, the, the client mix and then the objectives that are tied to that uh, in terms of volume and, and where you see things going? 
Yeah. So I think I, I actually think the most insidious part of this, this whole situation is that investors, if you think about it from a, from a practical perspective, the way pre-sales work in Ontario, investors actually finance construction of new housing, right? So new housing does not get built if there's not an abundance of investors who are, investors who are willing to speculate on future growth because you have a five-year build cycle for condos. And so there's only so much market. There's only so much uh, absorption for condos uh, that are five years out by end users. So if investors aren't making those speculative plays, well, those homes don't get built. And if those homes don't get built, our supply and demand economics five, 10 years out look worse than they do today. Yeah. And so right. there's just, there's no way that you're going to sell 600 identical 450 square foot junior one bedrooms to end users. It's just not going to happen, especially when it's a hundred grand more expensive than the exact same thing across the street on the resale market that they can do 5% down on, right? Like who's yeah. buying that as an end user? Sometimes parents will buy it for their kids, but again, it's like, it's, it's a limited buyer pool. And so um, I like, Realistically, we were supposed Urban Nation reported we were supposed to see thirty thousand new units launch in the GTA this year, and already more than ten thousand of those units have been shelved. Right, developers right. just just it was essentially in times like this when it's uncertain and they're not sure if they can hit their pre-sale targets or their profit targets, they just don't launch the product and they land bank, and so that housing supply gets pushed further and further down the pipeline. All the while, our immigration targets are moving up. So the picture for long-term affordability is actually getting worse, despite the fact that we're seeing housing price regression. And that's kind of what worries me for the long-term picture of, of this city. It's like, it's this, it's this, uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but the way that the, the way it works here is, is that in order to get construction financing, you have to hit a pre-sale target. Whereas in places like New York, they build the whole building and they still have 50% of their building left to sell. So it makes right. more sense that end users purchase that product. But here we require investors to front load and play that speculative game or these homes just, they don't get built. Well, yeah. it's, a, it's a vicious cycle that yeah. some, something's got to give though, right? Because the logic makes sense that if, if each factor is pushing the other in the same negative direction, like who's going to crack first? Because if it, if it continues in such a way, you know, you're going to see less and less investors fronting the money, less and less development happening, less and less affordability. Like mm -hmm. where, I mean, this isn't supposed to be doom and gloom, but what, like, do you see something giving? Is it that developers just start saying, okay, we don't need the 20% anymore? Or is it that, uh, that investors say, you know, like investors aren't there to be, these benevolent saviors of the world, like they're investors, right? Yeah, yeah. So, no, of course. I mean, it's, it's, it's a broken system that we rely on them to start new housing. And, and, the, the, and it's incredibly broken when you consider how little purpose-built rental has been built in the last you know, decades in this city. Like we literally rely on mom and pop investors to pull out HELOCs in order to create rental supply for the lower class. Like that's literally how the housing system works in Toronto. It's incredibly broken. And it's yeah. ironically why I remain bullish on the city. It's mm -hmm. like, if you're an investor who can just hold out through these turbulent times, like it's very clear that the picture long-term is very dim for housing affordability in the city, Yeah. right? And so it's bullish for investors if they can hold through it, right? And it's <laughs> bearish for Canadians as a whole, because who really wants to live in that world? But it, yeah. it's just, it's the reality of the picture. And like, and something I talk about on my YouTube channel a lot is like, the only way I see it fixing is if multiple levels of government come together as one and realize that the, and, and address the, like, there's a lot of good, like more neighbors and stuff. There's a lot of people who understand what the problem is and, and are, are explaining it. And I don't, I'm not naive enough to think the government doesn't realize what the problem is, but 
certain things are just untentative, right? Like, so like, it's not, it's not um, politically favorable to increase property taxes and, and reduce development charges, right? So that's mm-hmm. not going to happen. So new construction prices will continue to remain higher than existing prices. So again, it only appeals to speculative investors. And anyways, there's just so many layers of the system that are broken. And that is ironically a big part of the reason why I'm bullish on the city. And that, Mm -hmm. and that's why, if you look at like the last 40 years, why does Toronto average 7%, but most major metros in the States average four to five? It's because it's broken. The whole thing's broken. Right. Yeah. Right. It's not because Go, go ahead. No, no, I was just, uh, I was just curious if you're seeing the same thing in Montreal, because you said you did, you do a lot of projects there. Is it the same kind of thing? It's similar. It's not nearly as bad. Okay. Like it doesn't take, it doesn't take, you know, four years to go through uh, uh, appeals and hearings to get a simple condo building approved in Montreal. It happens much quicker. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. We, we, we've got a question here. That's a, a specific one now. Asking about current projects, and, and you touched on the fact that you know there there are projects and things that are being delayed, things that are having issues, builders that are having issues. The question specifically, or do you see any current projects that might have problems finishing that will actually scare the public and hurt the pre-con market in the short term? Um, so I guess that's asking for specific examples, but uh, yeah, I can't give specifics. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'd be biting. I'd be <laughs> you wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, there will be some. Like there's yeah. some, you know, East waterfront, downtown core examples <laughs> that to, are maybe backed by specific. Chinese money. Okay. You know? So anyways, <laughs> like there's, there's definitely some problem projects that I'm watching. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I mean like the big guys are going to be fine. They always are. Tridel, yeah. Daniels, Concord, Pinnacle, you know, richer than sure. God. Those guys will be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was listening to you on uh, the Twitter space yesterday, and I know the subject of assignments came up. Um, So can you talk a little bit about what's going on with assignments and where you see that market going over the next little while? Yeah, so it appears that there's a lot of people who purchased pre-construction condos in the last five years who never had any intention of closing on them, or maybe couldn't even possibly close on them if push came to shove. Yeah. Now, the advice I give in all my videos and all my emails and in cl- face-to-face to clients is like never, bo- if you want to, if, if you want to get into a pre-construction investment with the sole intention of assignment, flipping it and never mm-hmm. closing on it, that's fine. But make sure you can afford to close if push comes to shove because the market's not always hot, right? Yeah. And, and it doesn't even matter if over the long term, over a long enough time horizon, the market always goes up because your assignment window to assign is short right? So you only have to be in a short turbulent time for that assignment to no longer pencil. Um, putting aside the taxes, the new regulations, the fact that like, it literally doesn't make sense to sell these things on assignment because you walk away with so little profit. Um, putting all that aside, like it appears that there was just a lot more people in the market than any of us assumed that have bought these things. And maybe their broker promised, yeah, you could flip it for hundred K profit, 200 K profit, whatever the case is, there's a lot of people who bought these things and cannot afford to close. Um, and so I'm seeing assignments where, you know, people are just asking for basically their deposits back. So they bought it three, four years ago, and they're asking for what they paid for it. Um, maybe not three, four years ago, but like in the two to three year ago period, um, okay. those people are like break even. Um, because again, they bought 10, 15% above the market, then COVID happened, condo prices haven't really moved that much since yeah. then. And so where's the profit? There isn't any. Right. Yeah. And is that a unique situation just given where we are? Because I feel like 
and I mean, this is just based on my limited knowledge of pre-con and, and assignments, but I feel like a few years ago, it was a given, like slam dunk, you buy a pre-con, you get, you get access to something, and in a year, you could probably assign it pretty, for a pretty good profit. Like, do you think because, is, is it been COVID, or is it just the construction costs, or what is it that's caused this issue, or I guess, limitation for people that want to assign units? Well, two years ago, like, I'm trying to think of projects that were two years ago, like two years ago, you were still paying a thousand a foot in a topo mm -hmm. at new launches. You were paying 1300 to 1500 downtown core 1550, even at Mercer and stuff. So like, there's not a lot of spread versus resale today. So yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's a function of like the market has like, yes, it for condos, it went down and then came back up and recovered. Yeah. But effectively you look at the price two years ago versus now it's almost yeah. sideways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so if you bought pre-construction at a 10% premium, like there's, there's no, there's no, um, there's no Delta there. And then, then on top yeah. of that is like assignment buyers, people forget this all the time. Like I have clients who didn't purchase with me, who like their broker won't pick up the phone and they call me in a panic. Like, can you assign my unit for me? And I usually have to be the one who breaks the bad news. It's like, it's worth what you paid if that, and a lot of the time, what's what that person will say is, well, no, that doesn't make any sense because the new project that just launched across the streets at 1800 a foot. Mm -hmm. What they don't understand is that your assignment buyer doesn't give a shit what yeah. new condos across the street that aren't going to be ready. For, that's a futures contract, right. right? They don't care what the builders charging across the, the street, even if buyers are willingly paying it. All they care is, well, I have to close on this thing in six months. So what are the units next door in that two-year-old building selling for? And that is what your unit's worth. Maybe a little bit less because they have to come up with closing costs, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people think that like, and I, I see this rhetoric actually, I think uh, a lot, there are some, you know, there are some pre-construction brokers who, who, who spread this where, you know, the idea you buy phase one in a master plan community for a thousand a foot, phase two launches 1100 a foot, phase three, maybe launches 1300 a foot. And they put that out to their email list and say, look at all these people who already made 300 bucks a foot on their investment. And it's like, mm. no, they haven't. The market, the, the paper price of the new thing is not what your thing is worth. Like, that's not how it works. Right. right. And so I think, um, yeah, I think just like the whole, like, there's, there's a lot of marketing that goes behind pre-construction. I think some people just like, don't understand what they're buying. You're buying a contract to eventually own an asset. The closer that contract gets to expiry, the closer it is to its intrinsic value, right? And um, you're no longer you're no longer allowed to price in seven years of speculation because right. it's coming up for occupancy tomorrow. Yeah, right. Well, it's it's interesting if we talk a bit about the marketing, and I and I don't want to, and we don't shit on the industry here ever because obviously people do things within you know, what it is they feel is appropriate and right and a message that is accurate, but there is a lot of, of maybe inadvertent misinformation out there, let's call it, right? Maybe maybe uh, the, the sorts of messaging that looks a certain way and delivers a message that isn't necessarily in line with reality, such as what you just said there. For the realtors, and even if, if there are consumers out there, or investors out there that are listening to this as well, who are looking to get into this world, I know questions people People always want to ask is hey what's the project what's the project what's the project but beyond yeah. the what's the project i think literacy of the noise that's out there when they're getting four thousand emails a day and and they're on all these lists and get all these flyers that have all these buzzwords what would you say is 
the approach people should take to try to cut through the noise and make sound decisions. Project aside, I mean, there is value, obviously, in understanding who the builder is and all that stuff and, and the specs mm -hmm. behind location and all that. Um, but when it comes down to marketing speak, all other things the same, um, do you think there's a certain base level of, of almost uh, pre-con marketing literacy that people should start to develop for themselves before they dive in not knowing? Like the agent side or the consumer side? Well, uh, maybe both. I mean, I de definitely the agents need to understand what they're doing if they're advising other people, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but but I, I mean, I, I guess for anybody who's who's opening their mailbox and they see a dozen flyers every day that say brand new project and there's all the buzzwords and come to our VIP event and platinum this and all that. And, and there's truth to some of it when people, you know, people are really focused on access. But to me, I'm... Yeah, yeah, access, it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> Can we talk it's, about that a little? No. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, but it, it's interesting to me though when you talk about things that that seem less sexy but are more important about you know let's talk about the money you're going to make right like forget yeah. the actual whether I can get it or not but here's the per square foot and here's what it was and that's a misnomer the way you put it there like how on guard should people be now when they're looking at this stuff because it doesn't seem like face value is always face value. And there's not a lot of regulation, I don't think, protecting people. Yeah, I mean, like, look, if you get an, e like, one thing I, I tell clients all the time is, like, if you get an email from some broker about some platinum new launch, right? You're like, oh, this looks sexy, right? And it's all like, oh, I just will sell it in a weekend and stuff. Uh, one of the questions you want to ask that broker always is, is there lingering inventory or new release inventory at a previously launched project that's comparable in the neighborhood that's cheaper per square foot? And if they can't answer that question very quickly, either no or yes, this project at this price per foot, they actually have some good studios left or whatever, right? If they can't answer that question very quickly, you're not dealing with the pre-construction broker. You're dealing with a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. So someone who just goes from launch to launch, to launch, to launch, to launch, takes 10 worksheets, does a deal, takes 10 worksheets, does a deal, takes 10 worksheets, does a deal. They're not actually focused on making you money. They're just focused. You're not their client. The builder's their client. Now, right. most of us don't operate that way. Like I could, I could name 10 of the big pre-construction guys who don't play that game. Um, a lot of them are very focused on education. You're seeing more and more of it, right? Like I'm not the yeah. only guy putting out pre-construction content on YouTube anymore. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of education at play, which is great to see. Um, but basically like, that's what it comes down to. Like platinum, like platinum access doesn't mean anything. It's just a marketing term that creates false, a false sense of scarcity. That's all it does. Mm -hmm. Right. Or limited releases. Like when a builder releases 120 units of a 300 unit building, and then they get to say sold out. It's like, again, that's just creating FOMO and scarcity. It's just a sales tactic. Like all that really yeah. matters is what are you paying per foot? What are you getting in exchange? And what are the comps across the street say it's worth? And when you're doing that equation, it's also worth, worth looking into like builders. Like I said, they hold back units. They might release very rarely do they release the whole building on launch. And so the question is, well, who held back inventory when they launched a year and a half ago? And what is that inventory priced at today? Because more often than not, when there's a new platinum launch, there's a better deal just across the street at an older, unsexy launch that people have forgotten about. Um, like nine times out of 10, that's the case, right? You could save a hundred bucks a foot, 150 bucks a foot just by firing up um, a couple websites and calling, calling a couple people. Right. So, yeah, I, I mean, I've always found the pre-construction world such like a secret society and very difficult to infiltrate if you don't know the right people. I don't know how much you can talk about it, but like for agents that are kind of feeling the same way and wondering, is there a way to get in or how is it that I start 
going through this process. Like a lot of them will work with agents and get a cut of like their access. Um, yep. Where that to me, you'll never make a name for yourself because you're pretty much helping some other person who has yep. the access and is getting the sales. So like, can you just walk us through, like, I guess from a builder standpoint, what, how they view things and where they feel there's value with the agents that they work with? Yeah, sure. So I'll just say like, we have the third largest website in the, in literally the country in terms of in terms of it's traffic amazing. like 3000 visitors a day yeah. and i we do uh like hundreds of units a year and there are still builders i don't have access with mm. like honestly there's still builders i i don't have actual platinum now i can get it through tons of my colleagues right, right. and i can get those units from them um but like what we've done is like i don't like like going from I call it launch hopping, like launch to launch to launch to launch and just promoting whatever's out there. Like we pick and choose very carefully what, what we promote and we do 20 to 60 deals at each building we promote. So rather than like do three on launch and then like never sell the project again, you know, we like to pick builders we like and buildings we like and really like hone in on that. And so uh, we've done a lot of like relationship building. So we pick a builder like Tridel that we know and trust and our clients know and trust. And we make sure we're there from like launch to close, like mm -hmm. the whole way, the, you know what I mean? So anytime, so, and so like to new agents who are, who want to get into the pre-construction world, um, yeah, what I tell them is you really, you, you could go through someone at your brokerage who has access and then you're doing exactly what you said. You're building their name, not yours, um, because the deals all go under their name. Right. Uh, and so you never really get those allocations yourself. Or you can do the other thing, which is build relationships. Like, hey, like this developer seems to launch a lot of products, they, the product, and they seem to have a lot of uh, sites upcoming in the neighborhood I like working. So I'm going to focus on, on working with them. And it's also like a lot of the time, like, oh, you have to have had 20 deals with us to get access. It's like, no, you just call them and you say, hey, like, can we meet? briefly, like I have a lot of clients in this particular neighborhood. I know we don't have a, you know, a history of doing deals together, but I, I would like to explain why I can bring value to your project. And like nine times out of 10, they're going to let you in, like, especially in this market. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like, yeah, I mean, like acts and I, like straight up, like I get calls sometimes from past clients where like, Hey, like, do you have access to this thing that just launched? And I'll just tell them, no, I don't. And it's not something I'm promoting. Um, but I know you know, these guys over here who are colleagues of mine, they do. So mm -hmm. here's their information. And I'll just send them to the, like a lot of, um, a lot of people in this industry get way too focused on access instead of just like <laughs> providing service. Like that's really mm -hmm. all this is. Wow. Yeah, no, it's so true. That's like, that's the clip <laughs> for yeah. this, for this show is what you just said. It's so true. Well, and, and the relationship building as well. It's, it's, it's like everything else. People focus too much on what they can't do without just, you know what? pick up the phone and try. And you're right. We've, we've done the same thing for places where it wasn't long ago. And still to this day, I mean, most, if not some projects, we don't have access to, right? But when you pick up the phone and call somebody, it's amazing. They usually pick up. And to your yeah. point, now is probably as good a time as we've seen where those phones are going to be picked up a lot more frequently if they weren't before. I think people are willing to talk and no one's shying away from active buyers or and investors who are looking to invest in something right now. So no, hundred yeah. uh, percent. Another question just came through here. Uh, I've heard if you help sell remaining inventory, the developers or sales office appreciate that too, rather than just the launch. So like hot sheets, things like that. Yep. Um, what can, what can you say to that? I guess for people who might not be familiar with how that all works outside of the launch, 
what sort of process can people go through when they see a project that's maybe been live for a year plus? And I mean, uh, like the first thing I would tell people is just like know the project as well or better than the inside sales reps. So I remember uh, one of the first projects I did over 50 units at a project on the waterfront, uh, Mirabella launched 2016, 2016. Yeah, it was one of the first ones that I like really focused on. Uh, I had done five, 10 deals at a lot of different projects before that, but this was the first one I was like, I really like this project. I like this builder. I'm going to really work hard on this one. Um, and I poured through like all of the emails back because you can pull up the, the development proposal on the Toronto website. You can mm -hmm. go through all of the communication back and forth between the city and the developer and go through all of the architectural plans. And I knew things that the inside sales reps didn't. And so when you walk into the sales office, and you know the project that well, and you're communicating the project with that much um, that much education to buyers that you're bringing to the sales office. Yeah, the inside reps and the sales managers they notice that, right? And then when you prove your track record of, because you got to remember, like if a developer only sells 50% of their inventory on launch, they're trying to hit that 75% mark or whatever the mark is that they're able to get construction finance, usually 75, 80. So anybody who's there to help them go from 50 to 75, 80 is valuable in their eyes. Mm. Right. And so generally, and honestly, generally though, that like that phase in between like the, the pre-public release and when they increase prices to milk profit, like usually those units are much better deals than new launches. Usually not always, mm. but a lot of the time, yes, more expensive than that project was on launch, but new launches across the street are up a hundred a foot or whatever. And these are only up 25, 50. So usually better deals um, and less pressure. You don't have to say, Hey, give me a worksheet and a bank draft and maybe I'll get you something. Maybe I won't. You get to like walk into a sales office and actually sell your client uh, and, you know, do our job, which is selling um, and <laughs> say like, here are all the great things about the product. It's a much lower pressure situation. Right. So I, right. I prefer selling that way that to, to just like over the phone worksheets. Mm-hmm. And so the, there's a bit, of, and maybe it's not, but there's a bit of a chicken or egg there in terms of when we're selling and doing our job, like our, our service and our goal is to serve our clients and to, in, in some sense on the sales side of thing, it's to, you know, I don't use the word influence, but we're selling them on an idea. Yeah. Like we're, we're amassing our group of investors and buyers who might be interested, but at the same time, to your point, we're also selling and building relationships with the builder. And so we're yeah. kind of, focused on on making the warm and fuzzies on both sides of the fence is that just a simultaneous especially for someone who doesn't have an existing database of builders or buyers right now do they start by doing the the deep dive into the building as you said and, and really build relationships with kind of the i'll get you the people but i want to i want to know i have you first or is it more of a let's make sure that people understand i'm out there grinding and i'm going to have stuff for them but then go to the builder and say I want to build a relationship with you because I've got this stable of people now who I think would be a great fit to buy from you. Or does it all just happen side by side because I think it happens. Important? Yeah. I think it happens side by side. And then also just like not selling something that doesn't work for someone. So like there's multiple yeah. times. I tell my team this all the time. Like if, if 20 minutes into your presentation at the sales office, you realize, Oh, you know what, despite our phone call and our qualification, like I thought this was a good fit for them, but actually resale is a far better fit. You just say that. And just say, mm -hmm. hey, you know what? Look, here's the deal. Like, uh, resale is actually a better deal for these reasons. The sales staff in the, if you've already done five, 10 deals there, like the sales staff that's working with the builder is not going to crucify you for that. They're just going to realize that you have good client care, right? Like, yeah. Um, that, and that's the reality is like, you don't want to try to shove people into things just because you're like, I really want this relationship with that builder. 
like by, by actually just having your client's interest first and foremost, you will eventually do more deals because of that honesty. And you'll, and those relationships will come anyways, because you're converting at a higher rate because your clients actually like, and trust you. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the short, the short sightedness of just like, I need to get five deals here because that's when my bonus commission kicks in. Or like, that's when I get relationships. That's when I get platinum status. It's like, forget the five deals because, um, that client and their repeat business and their referral business is worth more to you than getting that relationship 12 days earlier or whatever mm -hmm. the case is. Right. And so I think like a lot of people get too focused on, uh, again, on that, um, they get too focused on, I want to go, uh, on the builders, you know, top selling platinum trip. It's like, don't focus on that. That's not important. Um, not the Gucci bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, that you, that'll come just, uh, do your thing. Yeah. Focus on, focus on the things that make like that are the most important, which is obviously your clients. Um, I, I would love to just switch focus a little bit to your YouTube channel and just how you grew that. Like, when did you start on YouTube? Um, and, and how has it progressed from like to get to 8,000 subscribers now? Yeah. So started it, uh, three years ago, but started taking it seriously, maybe 12 to 16 months ago. Okay. Um, and when I say taking it seriously, I mean like one or two videos a week, like actually making nice thumbnails, um, you know, taking it, like making it a priority. Yeah. Um, and the reason was because I noticed like, you know, if, uh, if I would be selling a new launch product, you know, we'd get a thousand registrants for it. And, and me and my team would be on the phone and it became apparent pretty quickly that like the first 10 minutes of every phone call was the same. Hmm. It was, Hey, here's where it's located. It's on, you know, this it's on the Northeast side of this intersection. And this is phase one of three. And it looks like this, and this is how many stories it is. And this is what the units look like. And this is what the incentives look like where like, I was like, well, one video could solve this problem, hmm. right? One well-filmed, like well-articulated video could be sent to everybody in advance. And then that cuts that 10 minutes out of the phone call. And now we get to focus on actionable items and, and motivation. Like, does this that project actually work for you? What are you looking to do? Like, does this make sense for you? Okay, cool. Let's do a worksheet or let's not. And so I just started doing that and we started getting really good feedback. Uh, and I was like, okay, cool. So this works, this video format works. Um, and then I started running like all of my advertisements and video and stuff. And I realized, well, this really like people resonate better with this, which makes sense because it's, I'm a visual learner myself. So it's fascinating. It took me this many years to figure it out, <laughs> but, um, it's a way better way of selling than via email and, and via, um, via phone. Yeah. And so just started taking it seriously, putting up the videos and, you know, I would send them out to my email list frequently. So that's probably big part of the reason why it grew as, as quickly as it did, because there was already an audience. I was just taking the audience from here and bringing them over here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, now, now it, it's, uh, organically growing and it's, it brings me a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, like the, I'll tell you this, the, the people who reach out to me from YouTube, but not, not from precondo.ca, yeah. but directly from YouTube. Like I found you on YouTube, those people, or I've been watching you for two years on YouTube. Those people are exactly like referral leads. Mm, yeah. Like they're, they're already, they already love you, trust you, want to work with you. Right. Yeah. Um, they've already made up their mind. Like you're mm -hmm. their guy. Um, yeah. And so those are some of the best clients to work with. Um, there's that, that part of the sales pitch is, is already done. Um, and then you get just, again, you get to just focus on what matters actually making the deal happen. 
Yeah. And you enjoy doing it, I assume. Like if this isn't, it's not a chore for you. I mean, editing, whatever, fine. But I'm assuming it's not a chore to. to No, it's a good time. It's a good time these days. Yeah. It's very hard at the beginning. Like it's very tough. I I had to unlist some of my first videos just because you go back and watch them and you're like, what was I talking about? (laughs) But, um, but yeah, it's one of those things like, and this is everything with life and especially business is like, you have to put the reps in before you get good. So yeah, some people are naturals. You got your Tom stories out there that are so likable. They throw up one video and you're just like, the guy was made for it. <laughs> but some of us take, a, there's a learning curve, right? And, and it's just a matter of reps. So it's kind of like, you know, it, it might take, it might take me a hundred reps to get good. It might only take you guys 20, but at the end of the day, we all end up at the same place. We just have to start. Right. Yeah. And no. keep, and keep going. Right. Because yeah, that's the hard part. Yeah. yeah, like like we we've made a, a practice the last little bit of digging up old uh, <laughs> the first handful of videos and wow if we would if yeah if well we we'll do... look back at this in like three years and be like oh my god that was awful like what yeah, were we talking like, about man why did we bring Jordan on the show Jesus <laughs> Christ <laughs> yeah no it's uh, no it's it, it's it's unreal that uh, just having a plan and sticking to it and i know that's not the 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 nature of this episode but it's it's so consistent across whatever we're doing in whatever industry it's just like have a system have a plan and when it gets painful or you feel like it's going shitty it's the people who power through who actually succeed and it's everyone who's yeah. go, who goes back to the beginning who stays yes. at the beginning over and over well, again realtors in general i find like they're And I'm sure, I'm sure it's in other avenues as well or other industries as well, but it just seems like a lot of us are just constantly looking for the silver bullet. Like you see the people who float from brokerage to brokerage to brokerage every six months and it's like, nothing's going to change. The problem isn't the brokerage, the problem is you and your work ethic and discipline. Like it has nothing to do with the brokerage. Um, or the similar thing on TikTok, like the, or, or YouTube, they post three, four videos. They don't get a lead. And they're like, like, I didn't, I didn't get a deal done for my YouTube channel until my 70, 70 something video. Right. Like wow. it takes a long time. A like it's, know. it's, and you just have to put in the reps and realize there may or may not be a return, but like, what else am I going to do with my time? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's something yeah. that interests me in it and, and yeah. getting good feedback and clients enjoy it. So why don't I continue doing this? And the ROI will That's eventually right. like present itself. Yeah. What's, what's crazy is I guarantee you somebody watching this is writing down right now. Okay. Seven, what was it? 73rd video? <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, 73, <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Check that out. But yeah, yeah it's, uh, it, it's just, I, I think we all need to, not everything is super enjoyable, but we've got to find the niche of doing the stuff that interests us that we actually are excited to wake up to do because we're going to stick with those even when they're not right. working out. Right. Like those are the ones where you're genuine. I'm, am I frozen? now? I might be, I keep seeing my own head freeze, but maybe no, you, you were for a second, but you're good now. Yeah. That's okay. It's okay. I'm always wondering what face gets frozen. If it's like a, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, anything else? Like, did you want to like talk a little bit about like, where can people find you? Like talk a little bit about pre-condo, maybe what, um, what you're up to in the next little while. Yeah, sure. I mean, we're, we're focused on, uh, actually we're trying to build out the resale section of our site. So we're trying to, okay. uh, which doesn't, um, I should have thought of the name pre-condo eventually it kind of puts you in a, <laughs> a very small box, but, um, but I mean, really what does buzz buzz homes mean? That's true. <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah. So, uh, YouTube is the best place to find me. Okay. Um, yeah, that's where I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I participate on Twitter, um, <laughs> but I'm learning to really hate that place. So 
yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try to stick to, to YouTube and Instagram where people are more friendly. It can be very toxic. Like there's some good information on there, but man, you have to really like weed through the the shit and the the toxicity that is Twitter because yeah, it's it is brutal. I don't know how people stay on it. Like people like well, Daniel but- Daniel Foch, like he he's like a trooper sometimes. Oh, he's wonder- driving. Yeah, he's that's where well. he belongs. That's where he belongs. Man. Yeah, maybe he's, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's got he's got the skill of like for me, if I knew that every other comment was gonna be some hybrid of someone who just wants to hear themselves alongside also shitting on everything that had just been said, I would yeah. lose my mind every time I had to respond. But he just kind of powers through. It's just like, cool, all right, who's next? <laughs> it's just yeah, like yeah, that, no, that, yeah. that that is a skill. That, that is, is a skill. skill. Yeah. Uh, we and do have a specific I- Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, sometimes I post an inflammatory, ultra bullish comments, like just to rile those people up. Uh, Anyways, I'm blocked by my fair share of users on on that platform. We we should start posting a lot more about auctions and open bidding just to get some conversation going. That's that's when we get rises out of people, for sure. On on that note, that's actually something early on when we, and and, uh, I mean, we we, we don't talk about this much, but like when we first started doing auctions and and open bidding in real estate, we thought pre-con, would be an amazing angle and we learned it's not but it's 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 interesting because we didn't understand that the nature of the builders and their goals is not let's maximize what everybody's giving us on a per unit basis it's here's what we need to do what we need to do don't bother me with getting people fighting over it so for those who don't understand, like I, I, I guess there's people out there who are strictly from the resale market who don't understand that a price list is there for a reason. It's not like necessarily a forum for negotiation or for bidding wars or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you see? I guess two part question. Number one, do you ever see a world where there might be a, a forum for people to be fighting over particular units and driving the price up? A and B. Is there a world or have you participated in a world where there is some degree of greater negotiation on the stuff that's out there where you can work a sales office and a builder down off of the prices that they've got? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to the second part, yes. Um, especially in markets like this, like a lot, a lot of times the price won't change, but what will change on the back end, like we've also gotten like special, like there's been like big brand name builders who have said, Hey, today our prices went up 60 grand, but you can honor our old prices for you and your clients only for the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I know what when they say you and your clients only, they mean me and like 10 other brokers that they really like, but you, you know what I mean, right? Like that's a very small pool of people who get $60,000 less, but it's, but it comes on the back of a price increase. So they were happy with their margins at that price. They're now up to 60 for anybody who walks in off the street into the sales office, but they're giving us this window of time. Don't advertise, don't tell people unless in person type of thing. But, but yeah, so th- like there are some the general rule of thumb is the price on the price list cannot be negotiated, but what can be negotiated is, is the terms on the back of that. So mm-hmm. things like deposit structures, that's negotiable. That can be, so that can be moved around, but again, it depends on builder and it depends on your relationship with the builder. Um, and then things like levies, like uh, what are they going to cap them at soft cap, hard cap, which lawyers are they going to do that for? Um, you know, what are they going to like? Are they going to waive assignment fee? Are they going to waive right to lease fee? Like, are all of that really can be negotiated? Um, and, and it just it comes down to like what that builder is willing to do. And the only way you know what they're willing to do is if, if you've worked with them in the past. 
right? Because some builders are just like, no, this is what it is. Like, take it or leave it. I don't care how many deals you've done with us. Like, that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. um, and then others are more pliable. It really just depends. Yeah. And it also softens um, or it softens depending on the market too. Uh, what was the first part of the question? I mean, the first part, I was sort of semi-answering it while I was asking. It was just about the future of prices jumping past the price list in any situation where demand outweighs supply. And it always has, or historically, I shouldn't say it always has, but there's always seemingly been a lineup of people who just want to get one. It's never gotten to the point where, okay, let's throw seven of you into the fire on one unit and see who gives us the most. It doesn't work that way. Do you ever see a world where builders start saying, let's try to let's try to push this higher than what we've put out there? Or is that just a danger zone for them and not what they need anyway? Well, I think what happens is you see if they want to do that, like the, 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 the mechanism behind how they do it now is like they say like, basically like maybe they had planned to release 200 units and instead they'll just release a tranche of 60 and then jack the prices up but still allocate those original worksheets they got on the first price list and just explain to them like this is the second tranche prices are up 20 40k 60k oh, okay um yeah and so there's a way to bleed more money out of, out of these purchasers if they know like hey we expected 500 worksheets we have 200 units to sell we got 2,000 worksheets like let's mm -hmm. make use of this okay. um but you don't often like, again, the, but then there's developers like Tridel who would like never do that. Like they're right. not willing to burn their name and they're not willing to do that. Like we said, we're going to do this. This is exactly what we're going to do. I don't care if we get 5,000 worksheets or 200, like this is how it's going to go. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it just like, it varies from, from builder to builder. The problem with bidding wars, I think in pre-construction is like nine out of 10 projects that launch in our city are cookie cutter. So it's like, you have 50 of the exact same units. Yeah. So I struggled to see how those would actually bid up to be about like if resales at a thousand a foot and these things are on the price list at 1300, how many people are really going to bid 14, 1500 a foot on these? Right. I, I, yeah. I question what, like what that would look like. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I do know there's going to be major changes in the way things are sold. Like the whole like idea behind like 50 brokers, like controlling the way like pre-construction is sold in the city is, is pretty crazy. And the co-oping yeah. that have, happens behind the scenes. So it's like, you've got some brokers who are selling 50 units, but they're not actually selling any of them. And then you've got other brokers who maybe actually do have 50 clients, but they can't get those units. And it's just, it's very messy. And yes. I think the worst part of it is like the data asymmetry where it's like, sometimes the developer's not even telling us the full story. And then w some of us aren't telling the clients the full story that we have. And so it's like, there's a lot of friction yeah. and it just, I don't know. It feels like in, in 2022, like the idea of sending a PDF with price ranges, like just, it feels so archaic. Yeah. Right. Yes. And uh, I just think there's, there's so much room for, there's so much room for disruption. And I mean, you're starting to see it like, like the, like black line, right? Black line's a great product. Mm -hmm. um, and now you're seeing uh, entry through powered by 3D cityscapes. So Raza has this amazing Unreal Engine platform he built where it's basically, they've built Toronto. Imagine playing Grand Theft Auto, but it's Toronto with all the future buildings, right? And so mm -hmm. there's all the, these cool products coming to the space that allow for more transparency. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Like I think inevitably the way pre-construction is sold in Toronto is very unique. It's like one of one. There's nowhere else in North America that sells pre-construction this way. So I think it's inevitable mm. that it's going to change. That's really interesting. Huh? I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize that. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things, oh, technology definitely will likely disrupt things sooner rather than later. Um, 
we do have one last question before we let you go. Um, do you, what is the app you use to show the 3D models in your YouTube videos? And is it accessible to other agents? No, it's SketchUp. Um, and it's okay. built by a guy, his name is Steven Velasco. You can add okay. him on LinkedIn and you can license it. He'll, uh, he will charge you a monthly fee to use it. I don't okay. know what that fee is for, for people who are signing up now. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but yeah, I saw he used to do it as like a hobby, super cool mm -hmm. guy, really, really sharp guy. Just like loves architecture and stuff, built it as a hobby. And I reached out to him. I was like, Hey man, like, will you sell this to me? I need this. Absolutely <laughs> need, it. need to have it. Um, so yeah, I would, uh, That's absolutely awesome. give me, give me your business. It's super useful. I think like helping clients to understand what their future view may look like. Like, I think that's all very valuable. So yeah, hundred percent. Okay. So, so last question, next 12 months, interest rates, I don't know how much impact they have. I mean, they have impact, but in terms of people who are holding for maybe three, five years before the mortgages are going to take hold, what's, what's this next little bit going to look like in terms of demand pricing projects? Yeah. Precon in general. Well, where's where it going? Crystal ball it for us. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you, I can't tell you where resale prices are going but I can tell you pre-construction prices are going up. I don't care, even if the labor market like start, start, starts to unravel. And so, you know, cost for, for the actual hard cost to build in terms of not just uh, materials, but also just labor comes down a bit. It's completely offset by the increase in development levies that we're seeing. Like we're seeing massive mm -hmm. increases across the board mm -hmm. uh, in the cost to build. So like, I think we need a sustained downturn of like three, four, five years before you are to start to see like land prices correct downwards as well. Sure. Land prices on the small scale are already correcting, but I'm talking like high density land. Yeah. Those the people who still own high density land in like the CO, like the downtown district of Toronto, they don't, they're just not going to sell. Right. Like these are, these are funds and family offices worth hundreds of millions. Like they don't care. They're, they're not interested in like fire sailing this, this type of inventory, I don't think. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the cost to build is, is, is going up. So pre-construction prices are a lot easier to predict than um, resale prices because it's not based on sentiment. It's entirely based on, entirely based on the cost to build, which is, which is mm -hmm. going up right now. Dude. Do investors, uh, and, and this might not be a straight answer, but do you find that there's a greater likelihood that they want to buy projects that are farther out or does that yeah. not really factor in? They do. So, so the longer 100%. the period it's, if you can get two things at the same price today at whatever a foot, you're going with the one that's going to take six years instead of three. Yeah. All else be like developer reputation, like all else being equal, hundred percent. You go mm -hmm. with the, the longer term. Right. You levered no debt, right? It's a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, usually, it's usually a good time. <laughs> <laughs> With what we know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I mean, we've, uh, we're rounding out the hour, so you've got lots yeah. of units to push today and YouTube videos to make, so we don't want to take yes, any more yeah. of your time today. But oh, thanks uh, for having me on. This was uh, yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah no, yeah, we, we appreciate it. it. All right. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Thank you. Level up, 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 level up,